0: Welcome to The Practice Podcast, a show created by lawyers to help lawyers in life and business without all the complicated lawyer language. Let's welcome Bast Amron founders and your hosts, Jeff Bast and Brett Amron. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Brett. How How are are you? I'm fantastic. Are you? It's Friday. I I mean, you are fantastic. I had a great swim this morning. I'm just happy.
1: I'm happy to be here. I'm going to say this on every podcast now for the rest of the year. What? Lawyer of the Year.
0: <laughs> I, I just feel like, why are we limiting it to year? No, I don't think millennium? so. millennium. I think it's the millennium.
2: Okay. Did you know? So we have a special guest
0: millennium? today. Come on now. Our special guest. Thank you. Michael Feuerman is the managing director of Burger Commercial Realties Palm Beach County office, and he's a tenant representation specialist for South Florida so he specializes in commercial tenant representation services and he's our first return guest to the Practice Podcast. He will stop. I, I don't think we need to say anything else. Right that's, there. That's the biggest. He sh- why is that wow, not on your sh- bio by the way? That's right? yeah. be the
1: first f- f- line of your bio now. Your yeah, website. so he was a,
0: he was a guest on episode <laughs> 15 by the way. We just released this week episode 75, Mike. So the episode because it's an early one, and in some places, if you listen to it, it may not have a number, but it's called An Expert's Insight Do I Downsize, Renegotiate, or Lease New Office Space? And this was recorded, that was recorded in August of 2020, and we discussed market trends for office leasing, and it was a very unique environment. But since that time, Mike helped us negotiate a new lease of new space, and we're in that space and recording from there now. And if you want to come check it out, please contact us. We'd love to show you around and the product of Mike's hard work. But one thing we didn't talk about last time, Mike, is that prior to your career in real estate, you were a lawyer for six years. You practiced as a business trial attorney and handled all types of contract cases. So before we jump into the past two years and the real estate market trends, can you just tell us how did you come to this decision to leave the law after being this, you know, amazing trial lawyer? <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for the introduction, Jeff. And you and I graduated
2: at the same time, started at the same time, and you remember what it was like. 1993. In the- 1993. A fine year. Early 90s, it was A busy time for litigation, I jumped right in. I had a lot of RTC work and a lot of commercial litigation, a lot of real estate-related litigation. And it was a busy time down here in Miami. And I just found that I did not like practicing law. It was just not for me. It didn't fit my personality. I didn't like, I should specify that, I didn't like litigating. I didn't like the constant fighting and trying to get from a position where people had a dispute and one wanted to be way off here to the right, wanted to be way off here to the left. I found that if I was going to stay in law, it would have to be something transactional. I was helping people come together. But I was very intrigued by commercial real estate. And I spent about a year, the last year of my practice, trying to find something. I just knew in my heart that I wanted to be involved with commercial real estate. And I spent about a year interviewing with different People in the
0: commercial real estate field, development. Well, lawyers or not? You, did you look at, sorry to cut you off, no, there, but did you look to try to transition to be a real estate lawyer? Is that a possibility? The firm I left
2: said, you know, one of the partners said, do you want to come and be a real estate lawyer? And by that time, I, I kind of had gotten my head around the fact that I was going to go into brokerage. Hmm. And I just, and you know, they didn't know that I was looking, or maybe they would have made the offer earlier. Or maybe I would have, and that could have worked out. But I looked and I found that this is an exciting profession. And I haven't looked back. I really enjoy what I do. I mean, in a case like yours, you know, you had a, a problem, you had disjointed office space that you'd grown into piece by piece. You needed to solve and find something that was more contiguous and more friendly to your employees and that reflected your corporate personality and your individual personalities Mm. and financially can be just as rewarding as practicing law and it's to me just a more fun way to make a living i I go in, i have fun every day and to anyone who's not happy with what they do i'm not saying you have to leave i was single at the time i didn't have kids i wasn't married so it was easy but it's important to really at least like
0: what you do if not love what you do because it's hard work is hard I think a lot of people may and not this I'm sure it's not limited to lawyers, but just feel trapped. They don't like what they do or they're not it's not that they don't like what they do, because look, it's work, it's a job. But if they hate what they do or they're really unhappy, you gotta start looking in the mirror and figuring out are there other alternatives. You have to because you can't really be successful if you don't like what
2: you do, if you dislike what you do.
0: Yeah. I kind of went through a similar thing when I was around that same time. And I had just made partner at the firm. And and I was kind of thinking, do, you know, is this the right place for me? Because I, I also would look at other litigators and they want to fight over every little thing. And mm. I'm just not like that. And I talked to, uh, without getting into the whole thing, I ended up talking to somebody about it. And they were like, well, are you effective? And I was like, yeah, I think so. And she was like, can it just be that you just do it differently? You don't have to be where you fight over every little thing. And I said, well, I guess. That's true, you know, and when you start highlighting, well, what are the things you do like about it? Well, it gives me flexible hours. Good compensation is good. I can be with my family. It'll just afford you so many opportunities and lifestyle affordabilities that if you figure out what you like about it and what you don't like about it, you can minimize the things you don't like about it and maximize what you do like about it, so.
1: Kudos to you for recognizing that early in your career and making that switch and finding something you're passionate about. And doing it right, it is work, as you guys said, right? So, there might be days, even though you like what you do, there may be days where you think, Oh man, today was a long day. You know, I I didn't like today.
2: They're all long days. If you're not working hard and long at what you do, yeah, it's hard also to be successful. Yeah,
0: work ethic is critical to anything in your field, especially because I would imagine there's a lot of false starts, in other words. You only get paid when a deal closes, a lease is signed mm-hmm. or it's sale. So there's a lot of times where you do a lot of work and nothing happens, right? Absolutely. I, I tell people wanting to end the business
2: is like juggling eggs and you're juggling 100 eggs at the beginning of the year mm-hmm. and you're probably left holding 10 at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And they better be big and they better be profitable <laughs> or you're not going to make a living. But, you know, look, you brokerage, like yeah, brokerage, <laughs> you better like eggs. it's all you're eating. Brokerage has its own downside and yeah. its own problems, but they don't get to me the way that the issues with litigation did. And that's a personal choice. There are people who love litigation and couldn't imagine doing anything else. I know them, you know, I know some of them. And you are
1: uh, very dedicated. I mean, I know in our situation, we started far in advance, which you have told us is the right way to go. You have to mm-hmm. say far in advance of when your lease may expire to start exploring options, right? Either a renewal or relocation or whatever. And so you're spending all of that time hoping that a deal closes at some point, whatever that deal might be, to get paid. And in our case, uh, I think we said it was two and a half years. Yeah, we
0: just had a debate before we started recording about how far it was. Yeah. And Brett was was right, right. of course. Brett was right. Even if he wasn't right, we'd be saying that. I mean, we should just say that all the time. Right. So Brett was right, but we started more than two years before the end of our lease. Yeah. I was shocked to hear that. It's not a bad strategy
2: when you're engaging your landlord in Mm -hmm. renewal discussions. Yeah. You can start anytime, especially in your case where the landlord has a mortgage expiration upcoming and has significant vacancy. Anytime is a good time to talk to them, unless you just signed a lease. But if you're giving the landlord extended term, Mm -hmm. they should be open to discussions with you just about anytime.
0: But I think we started early because we were originally thinking we wanted to go buy something, too. And you said, all right, if you're going to buy something, if you might want to buy something, you need to plan for that because you're going to have to build it out the sale process and then construction, everything else. And so.
1: But we wanted to explore the possibility of a relocation in the building as well, right. if that was possible. Yeah. And I think as, as Mike indicated earlier, you know, we wanted to find space in the building that if we could to build it out. Right. To be more who we are and what we wanted for the future, which ended up happening. It took a long time to so get there. We were there, on but, and off, I think. We were on uh, and off well a two-year period. Well, right? and in fairness, I mean, we had, a blip, right in March of 2020 like the and forward, kind of, called the pandemic right. and COVID, right, and that, right. you know, That's I remember exactly. there being days when we were, I think we all communicated, and I know Jeff and I communicated offline. What should we do? You know, yeah. do we do need, we really know? want to sign yeah. a 10 year lease? Like everyone I remember was saying, you asking us, are you sure? You yeah, want to you sure do you, this? you want to do it because it's 10 years and nobody, we didn't know what was going to happen with office space. We were all at our houses and nobody yeah. was working in the office and you know, do you sign a short-term
0: lease just to see what happens? Do you, you know, we didn't, we, I think that's we had what you were recommending. Questions. You should yeah. maybe do a short-term lease or not, but yeah. we dug deep and I think we took a risk, but yeah. it was a calculated risk and I think it you, paid off. And, you did. And I think the landlord is happy with it too, so. Sure.
2: Well, for landlords, mm-hmm. their buildings are valued on length of lease and, yeah. and the rent that tenants pay, the base rent, which equates to their NOI. And the longer the lease and the better mm-hmm. the credit tenant, the more valuable that net operating income is, and the higher return they can get when they sell it. But you took a risk; you went against the grain. And I did tell you maybe you want to look at something short term. Sure. And sometimes brokers will say, "Go for the ten year, go for the higher." Pr-. I don't practice that way. Right, I always want to make more money. Long they make more money, right? <laughs> right? But I always want to do what's best for the client. I take my fiduciary obligation seriously, right? And I tell you what I think is best for you, even if it's a lower commission for me, and sometimes it is because I want a client for life. Hmm. And I want to know in 10 years, if yep. we're all still practicing, that you'll come back to me and say, hey, I need help right. again. And I have a lot of clients that do come back over and yeah. over. For sure.
1: And I think that the building had some vision too, in terms of the negotiation, mm-hmm. right, to make this space. And I mean, it's beautiful. And as Jeff said, I, I guess everyone listening, the, whoever's listening has invited everyone has, has an open invitation to come by the come office, on. but with your help and vision as well, in terms of structuring and we're happy and I think the building is happy as well. And, and we're here for 10 years now. And it seems like all of us were. By the way,
0: we were here for 12 years before, before. that.
1: So it'll, it'll we're a
0: 22 year tenant. Yeah, tenant. tenant. I
1: mean, it was exactly. pretty prescient now. We look brilliant, right? But all of us in this room look brilliant by, by negotiating right. this 10 year lease. But you know, we
2: didn't know we at the time. Really sure. Yeah, yeah. No, in hindsight, it was a great decision. Yeah. At the time, you were going against the grain. Yeah. But in hindsight, it was a terrific decision. And you mentioned that you were looking to buy, and that, again, you're right, Jeff. That's another reason to start early, because it takes a long time to find something to purchase, the Mm -hmm. right property. Zoning becomes an issue. Parking becomes an issue. The planning and permit process, and now the construction process and cost since the pandemic and there have been supply chain constrictions, those have all extended. So pricing is up, and the time to get permits and build out is up. Well, and interest rates, right, for mortgages are up, especially commercial, which are always higher
1: than residential anyway, you know, typically.
2: Interest rates are up. I was just talking to a banker on the way here who told me that they tie their commercial loans Mm -hmm. to the five-year treasury, which today is about Mm 3.38%. And he goes about 200 to 300 basis points over that. So the minimum loan today Mm -hmm. would be at a 5.38%, probably fixed for seven-year interest rate with maybe a 25-year amortization period. At the time we were looking, you probably could have obtained a loan for about three and a quarter or three and a half percent. Yeah. It's a huge difference.
0: Yeah, big difference. And that's right? affecting a lot of things right. in the office market. But well, in terms of the timing, I mean, we looked at a lot of different products too, because you mm-hmm. showed us a few buildings that were vacant. There was one or two spaces that were above like retail, that mm-hmm. were shells that would have been a, a lot of work some of them didn't even have AC yet, right, and there was a, a couple that were leases that were going to be running off, so there were spaces that were going to become available in six months, so there's so many variables like you're saying about how much you need to do, but also about the product itself well the office so condos so many different right? things yeah there were office, the office. condos as yeah. well that we looked at yeah there are a lot of different
2: types yeah. of buildings that you could occupy, yeah. and then there's the question of do you want to occupy Just the space that you're going to be using? And then become a landlord. Right, or occupy something (laughs) a little larger or much larger and be a landlord and turn it into an investment. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, and then you have to think about, obviously, the insurance that goes into that, maintenance as well. That's usually pass
2: through to the tenants, but—
1: Well, no, I don't even mean—I mean finding people. Like, now, right, if we have an issue, you call the building because they have maintenance crew. If you own a building or you own a space in a building, what do you do? It's your headache right now? You got to find people and line them up. And what if those people aren't available or they're backed up too? Which we're finding with our homes now, right? Getting people, getting supplies, getting all yeah. that stuff. So, so many. It issues. ebbs and flows. Listen, yeah. it's the market, it's current, whatever it is, and it's all dependent on what you want. It's personal, right? Some people want to buy, some people want to lease in the buildings. Just kind of depends on what you want. In the city,
0: yeah. some want to be outside. Outside the like city, that, yeah. You know. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So now here we are, two years later. Has anything changed? <laughs> yeah. Well, your space is amazing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you. You. I saw it on paper and yeah. I saw it come together in my mind and we saw the renderings, but it's just so much nicer than I could have imagined. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. it really yeah. reflects. We're very happy. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. we're happy. You and- did a great job. We had a great team. Really? All across yeah, the yeah, board. Yeah, yeah. Agreed. You did. You put together. And what you did that was so smart that a lot of people don't do is you engaged an architect early. Mm-hmm. Right. And you went even beyond the space planning phase. You did the full set of construction drawings, yep. which were transferable from building to building. And we used these space plans and concepts and programming and layout to talk to different landlords. And it really put you ahead of the
0: game. Yeah. Yeah. I think the landlord knew we were serious. You know, we weren't just kicking tires like we hired we, like we went we incurred this expense well and, and I think when we presented
1: it to this landlord and, and anyone else or any other space we were looking at yes they thought we were serious but I think that also showed them the vision of what the space could be and so maybe that helped in terms of yeah. the negotiation right like oh okay now we see this vision with partnership moving forward we like this idea the space yeah. and
0: I think people forget the story you know as lawyers, this is like what we do, right. and even a lot of lawyers forget the story part of what we do is like. If you're the most effective litigators, are telling a story, and this is no different. I mean, you're here talking to a landlord saying, "Look, these are guys that have a firm that are, they've grown with you. We've now expanded in this same building four times. Like we signed a lease, we extended, we extended again, and we, oh, I guess we've expanded three times. But four separate occasions we've mm-hmm. signed leases with them, and there's a story behind that." You know, we've always paid our rent on time, and I would think that's who you want as a tenant, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, you you were a strong client and a strong
2: tenant, and you had a great story, and it was easy to convey that. And you're right. I do tell. I was telling a story this morning about a client. Tell us was, a story. Try not to fall asleep out there. <laughs> a client who was bought out and why the landlord or landlords, because they have about eight or nine locations across country, a lot of which I negotiated, why the landlord should take on the new company, because they don't have to. Mm -hmm. When a tenant wants to assign their lease to someone who buys them out, the landlord has the right to decline. And so I'm now telling the story to the very, and it's a complicated story, but you do have to, there's a lot of negotiating and convincing. Sure. That coherent, convincing story is a big part of it. Mm. Wow. So,
1: thank you for all of your help, of course. Oh, thank you for um, your was, trust. You, the work you did. And anyone out there who's considering relocating or renegotiating, yeah.
0: call this man. Yeah. We <laughs> talked work about work tirelessly this on, for you. We I talked I about assure you. this on the last episode, yeah, but yeah. just the idea of a tenant rep makes just so much sense. Yeah. And if you haven't used a tenant rep, you are just missing out on absolute value that at no cost. <laughs> it's like it almost as a tenant seems too good to be true.
2: It does seem too good to be true because the landlords pay our fee. You don't pay our fee. Right. And a lot of people say, well, they'll just bake it into the rent. But they don't because they have an advertised asking rate or an advertised sale rate or whatever the case may be. And there aren't two rates, one for tenants with a broker, one for tenants without. It's the same starting point for everybody. I've had situations where... I've had to have the curtain pulled back and I put a tent into a building in Boca Raton probably 15 years ago and they had a right of first refusal mm-hmm. on adjacent space. And I remember I was away on a cruise with my family and I got an email saying, do you want the space next? So I said, well, you have to tell us the terms. You can't just say, do we want it? That's <laughs> what the whole right of first refusal. Like. And then I realized what I was asking was, show me how I did versus an unrepresented tenant. right? Mm. And not to pat myself on the back, but we did much, much better. And they were taking more space for a longer term. So there are things that we know to dig into that unrepresented parties don't know. It's like someone going to court and representing themselves.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I imagine even from the landlord's perspective, even though they know, okay, they can't get away with anything, if you will having a tenant rep on the other side, but I would think that they also like it. It's kind of like with us in litigation. I'd much rather have a competent lawyer on the other side so we can cut through all the BS and get to the meat of whatever it is we're dealing with. But the same thing with you. They know there's an expert that they can talk to. You know how to talk the terms. You know the numbers. They know if it's a waste of time or not, if we have a tenant rep.
2: Right, And, and you also, the value of a tenant rep is they'll tell their client when they're being unreasonable. Right. As much as they'll tell their client when, there's more on the table that we can get. Don't leave this on the table. Let's yeah. go for this. Let's negotiate here. It's not just price and tenant improvement allowance. There are a lot of factors, as you saw, that affect your economic cost and your use of the space and your rights. And a good tenant rep will tell a client when they're asking too much. Right.
1: I mean, it's not, as Jeff, I think, it is not dissimilar from representing a client as a lawyer. It's a professional service, right? And so you have to look at your client and say, the good lawyers will look at their client and say, listen. Here's the, having that moment where you say, here's the weakness, here's your issue, we need to go back to them with this, you know, and and having a real conversation with your client
2: in order to really put forth the best, to get the best deal you can for your client. Right. And when to stop negotiating and move forward. And that's what the landlord's like. Yeah. You you keep a client reasonable as a good tenant rep. Yeah. It's really a service. I've had a lot of landlords say that they appreciate it and, and they don't dislike paying tenant reps either. Mm-hmm. A lot of them say, I'm happy to pay you because you helped me get a deal done. Right. And they budget and perform a certain amount of sure. commissions they're going to be paying out. I've even had some landlords say, I love paying commissions because I know I'm leasing up my building. Yeah. Right. right? I, mean, I don't the, think they and, all feel that way. With and somebody.
0: you're going to bring other tenants back exactly. because you can say to your other tenants, hey, I, yeah. I've put a client here. Yeah,
1: just negotiated so you know a what deal on like. this building. And yeah, for sure. sure. Right. All right. So let's talk about what is going on in the market down here, South Florida? There's so many different things going on down here, right? <laughs> such an open-ended question, but I'll give you the floor to kind of give us your sense of like what's going on here in the commercial office space. if that's where you want to limit it, even if or you just want to talk
2: commercial, Let's start there. yeah. Yeah, I'm by no means an expert in residential. I did just buy a house and I'm renovating and I don't recommend that to anyone. Well, thanks, (laughs) but it's a brutal process. It is, I know, yeah. yeah, But I really know nothing about residential other than when I buy my own house. But there is a lot happening in the commercial market. And I'll stick to office. So if you look at vacancy rates, and I'll stick to South Florida, in the tri-county area, they're all below 10% vacancy, uh,
0: vacancy rate, which is very healthy. It's a sign. What, what, just by, for comparison purposes, do you know, like, what would it have been three years ago or five years ago? Or Probably 12%, 14%. So typically 12 to 14% in, in right. just general times, right?
2: Right. And difference, now I'm talking about every office building in each county. Mm-hmm. Right. And class A, B, and C. Right. If we break this down into just the central business district right. uh, or downtown area, if we break it down into Brickell versus downtown Miami versus right. Cypress Creek in right. Fort Lauderdale, they'll have different vacancy rates, but of I'm course, talking right. about the broad- On general right? average, yeah, right? Average. Okay. And That's, there could be some that, there <laughs> are some that are doing much worse than others. Right. In general, though, the yep. three counties are below 10% vacancy. And in fact, Palm Beach County is below 8%, which is very strong, very healthy, yeah. in part because there was no real overbuilding after the Great Recession. Lenders were very disciplined and developers were very disciplined. But they probably would have been less disciplined if the lenders were
0: right yeah. with the well, money. But the lenders kept them in check. There's right? also
2: right. less commercial
1: space up there, no?
2: Right? There I is. Mean, yeah. yeah. So Palm Beach County is about a 58 million square foot market. Mm-hmm. Miami Dade's about 112 right. million mm-hmm. square feet. But as a percentage, sure. Doing so,
0: little, when we yeah. talk about vacancy rates. But the other way to look at it is it's 92 percent occupied. Right. You know, like that's it's a pretty impressive. Number it's strong, and with that comes I like how you did that. Like that.
1: yeah, that was impressive. I like did that in my head. No, that was that was high level That was very impressive. I didn't math. even see a calculator yeah. come out. That was good. <laughs> oh.
2: <laughs> I couldn't have done that. Do You, you see know, the abuse I have to endure. <laughs> it's crazy, on, it really. Is. So what that means is it's getting a little bit tighter mm-hmm. for tenants and, mm-hmm. and a little bit tougher. But if you peel back the layers yeah. of this onion, you'll see that a lot of deals that were done over the past. You know, probably two, three years since the pandemic, let's say, are short-term deals. Because unlike you who committed to ten years or nine years, the the bad people, no, smart people <laughs> in Heinz, the vast majority of tenants don't know what's gonna be and don't wanna lock in a long-term lease. Mm-hmm. They don't know if all the employees are coming back, some of the employees are coming back. There's still a struggle, a push and pull. Employees wanna work more from home. Employers want them in the office is, is there going to be a hybrid model and if there is a hybrid model with people working at home some days are they going to come in and have their own office are they going to hot desk and share an office or a workstation so some companies like Apple are saying and we're going to find out on Tuesday what happens is there going to be a mass walkout but they're saying post Labor day everybody back in the office Monday Wednesday Friday mm. no more discussion and there have been some false starts with that when Omicron came out they had to pull back on that but Few companies are saying it, and so we're going to see what happens, and we're going to see if this vacancy rate holds
0: and if people sign long-term leases and make decisions. Right. Well, there's also been, through this, at least in South Florida, a mass migration into South Florida. There's been a very strong net migration
2: to South Florida. People looking for more freedom to work. I'm not making a political statement. There have mm-hmm. been more restrictions in other states like California and New York, and we've been the beneficiaries of that. So a lot of firms have moved down here. In general, a lot of wealth management, hedge fund, finance firms. Yeah, yeah. Have tech. Tech,
0: tech yeah. Too, yeah.
2: Well, but the, the, but the real, former group, what I was right. mentioning, moved to West Palm Beach in yeah, general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And then the tech firms... Because they all had a grandparent there already. So no, they had no, to they uh, have their, their <laughs> estates or... Right. Right. Uh, they, yeah. A lot of them have homes right. in the West Palm on the yeah. island, they like the, the lifestyle there. Boca. Right. Right. Palm Beach. Palm Boca. And... A lot of tech firms have moved to Miami. Mm-hmm. And a lot of other firms too. Blackstone, for instance. Remember sure. we looked at a space yep. yeah. in a building where Blackstone at least two floors and they ended up buying both buildings. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah two floors not enough. We yeah. want a whole building. The Miami yeah, Central yeah, Office. Exactly. exactly. So there's some spillover, but in general, that's the migration we've seen. Mm-hmm. And with that has come high demand and some new construction. So Stephen Ross and related bought up several Class A Trophy office towers in downtown West Palm Beach. They're building other buildings. They built 360 Rosemary, which Mm. they quickly leased up. They're building another one on Olive in West Palm Beach. They're quoting rents over $100 a square foot. Wow. Right? I heard that. What's the new building on Brickell that's almost done? 830 Brickell is also quoting rents between $85 and $100 a square foot. I mean, it's amazing.
1: That's where some of the law firms that have opened new space Mm or leasing, right? At least I've read some of that. 60, 70, 80,000 square feet.
0: Right. Yep. So you'll appreciate this. We had a guest on the podcast who's an older lawyer, a veteran, and he, right next door here, you can look out that window, one Biscayne Tower, he was the first tenant in that building at $5 a square foot. (laughs) (laughs) That's cheap. That's awesome. That's
2: cheap. I mean, yeah, what a great story. So you look at this report that I have here. I ran on CoStar last night.
0: Man, this guy comes prepared. That's, I love it. I that know. That's that. what makes him a good tenant, right? I know. He, oh, I you were see, always prepared. I, I don't see, I, see any we, we notes or reports
2: in front of you.
1: I, I have know. they're all right here, man. all in the Mine too, mine <laughs> right. too. Exactly,
2: this right here—the only
0: return guest. If you want guest. to be a return guest and the podcast, prepared. bring notes. That's Come right. Prepared. But we always the- tell our guests not to prepare. By the way, oh really? Yeah. And Mike, should, should I throw this out? Be- no, 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 no. no, no.
1: That's That's you're, about, you're, you're about you're about right. to drop some knowledge. I want to hear it. I'm going to drop a stat.
2: So of the top 20, I'm talking in terms of square footage, the top 20 office leases that have been done this year in 2022. 16 of them, or 80%, were in Miami-Dade. And I'm looking at 830 Brickle. They've got three of the top eight and three of the top ten. 830 Brickle, that's a new, that's building. new that's building. That's building. the new Structure, building. That's a new building, right? And it says that Banco Santander took 95,000 square feet. Citadel, which moved from Chicago. Yeah. In a dispute over ease of doing business, I understand, also took 95,000 square feet. I mean, these are not small leases. So Miami is really hot.
1: Hmm. And it's It's a real thing. This is not just, I mean, if you're getting 90, if you're signing a lease for 95,000 square feet, and that's real. That's no? not a test case. That's, that's not, not dipping not, your toe in the water. No. no. That's a, that's a and that's for, not a year. That's a like, that's
2: a long term lease, I would think. It's no? got to be long term. It's right. got to be seven to 10 years, I'm guessing. They don't report that. But I think this is changing the face of the South Florida office market for the foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. is
0: not a blip. As you said, this is not, okay, we don't like it here. We're going back. So, uh, any tenant, so is that a, how does that translate to advice? So, if you have a lease that's expiring in the next couple of years, you should start looking now or? Yeah, the
2: office market is getting tighter and if you want to be in South Florida, you should be looking early. There's no question.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's th- exciting. I think it's great. I think it's an exciting time for South Florida. All this growth and all these new people here it's is going long- to be great for your business. Well, you know, we are our business arises mostly out of disputes. Mm-hmm. So Disputes and distress. Disputes and distress, exactly. And right now, these are good economic times, so we're busy with litigation, but the insolvency practice has been slower the last couple of years. The economy's been ticking, and everyone's predicting a recession, but we're just not seeing it yet, right? So. Yeah, we'll see how that plays out. But I agree with Jeff. I
1: think these are exciting times. I know, I'm sure you feel it too, if you're getting calls and you're going out and wanting to lease space and representing tenants for new space or relocations or whatever it is. I think it's great. I would love to see more industry. You know, you always look back 5 years ago or 10 years ago in Florida and it was like, well, what industry is here? Right. What industry can support a greater population, more businesses coming down here, more sophistication? And they really Well,
0: it was always wasn't. tourism. Yeah, well, right. right. Other than tourism, tourism was our main, right, but now it's like It's just much more broad and diverse. Well, hopefully. Finance, tech. Hopefully that sticks, right?
1: That's the idea. The goal is to have them really put a foothold and not just sort of dip the toe,
0: even for law firms, right? Right. Yeah. Law firms are moving here at an incredible pace. Mm -hmm. We've seen many of the AMLA 100 firms open offices here in the last six months, I would say, but in the last, this year. Twenty twenty two, we've seen several of them open offices yeah. here. Yeah, I'm also so, aware of some that are looking around for space here as well. Right, and we, more, right, right? more. Co- yeah, I mean, we get calls. Hey, do you want to open the office of the Miami office of X firm? And we've had those conversations as well. And so they're coming, and then I think they're going to continue to come. Oh, some so firms if, that want so to So we should tell years. them to call you. It's one way to open an office. Is you know, right? Yeah, rather than organic growth, right. An Acquisition, right. right? A lot of them, I think, are opening because one or more of their lawyers have moved here. You know, the but
1: their clients are opening. They're following their client, right? I mean, that's what I'm saying in terms of industry, right? That's why you see a lot of the estate planning lawyers, you know, opening offices down here because their clients are either moving down here or spending more time down here. And so they feel like they need to have offices down here. But larger firms that are full service are moving too. So, okay, so how do they substantiate all of those lawyers and all those hours and high hourly rates? There's got to be industry that's going to feed that here either in South Florida or in Florida, period.
2: And not just the individual clients. I would bet that whatever law firm does the majority of, even a significant minority amount of the work Mm -hmm. for Citadel. Sure who's completely relocating here. Yeah,
1: they who's are. Who's going yeah. to open an office here? Absolutely. Right, yeah. They're I going have to have to follow them or risk My them. guess is they may have already done that. And they, I would, think, yeah.
0: I would think that we would know because they would have called Mike Foreman to help them. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm going to call these today.
1: Yeah. <laughs> 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 I mean, big international firms that are, again, not the old days. We've talked about this on other podcasts. Is they'd open a small office or they'd bring in two partners from another firm and open up and say, oh, this is our gateway to Latin America.
0: Right. But it doesn't it seem different. like they're doing that. This seems different. They are. It does seem they're different. opening offices. They're signing long leases of large square footage spaces, and so they're yeah. and they're making much more of a commitment to the location here.
2: So. It, and for them, you know, a hundred dollars a square foot, if you're coming out of New York City, is not a big price tag, you know? right? Right. So it's driving up the prices everywhere. For us. Right. Everywhere yeah, it is a lot. New York. So, what
1: are you seeing in terms of the people that are calling you? Are you seeing them wanting to be in the urban I mean I'm sure it's spread out, but generally speaking, urban core, are there people coming back? Are they planning for people to be in the office full- time part- time? like what are you seeing?
2: I'm seeing a lot of people who have decided that they're going to be doing hybrid work mm-hmm. going forward and they want to downsize. So I recently sold a building for a client that was 72 thousand square feet and relocated them into about 20,000 square feet. Now, they Mm -hmm. weren't using all of the 72,000, but they didn't even need half of that. Right. And some of that was storage space. Right. They were able to condense, and they've, you know, at this point, a little over two years after the onset of the pandemic, people are coming to grips with the fact that some people are going to stay working remotely, and they're right-sizing. They're just taking on different space, different size space, different configuration. Mm -hmm. and.
0: They're starting to make decisions, long-term decisions. But it seems to be some balance because you have some downsizing and some moving here. And so those two competing forces are creating some equilibrium in the market. Definitely. So, well, the vacancy rates speak for
2: themselves, right? right, So there is demand and it's coming from outside. And, you know, you said that this feels different than the past. Mm -hmm. Generally, in the past, Miami has been more of an international market with Latin American headquarters right. and doing a lot of international business. Now it feels like it's becoming a domestic center
0: right. of business, yeah,
2: yep. not just international. Yeah.
0: And the international is still coming. It's just now we also have the domestic migration. So, right. So yeah. that's competing and
2: that's driving up prices. And yep. there's quite a bit of demand. So, you know, the people that I'm talking to that are retaining me are a lot of repeat business. I am seeing some subleasing. I am getting retained more than I used to to sublease for that reason. people The the current space isn't working for them. And and in some cases, they want to expand. In other cases, they want to relocate Mm -hmm. or downsize. Are you
1: seeing a lot of sublease space or option opportunities, I should say, on the market now?
2: There are a Mm -hmm. lot. The difficulty with the sublease is it's got to be, you have to take it as you find it. Yeah. It's got to be a perfect
1: fit almost, right? Like it's, right. Yeah, you got to find that. It's right. got to be
2: almost a perfect right. fit. And if you're going to do work to it, it's going to be out of your pocket because yeah. the sub-landlord, mm-hmm. the current tenant, doesn't want to pay. They're right. already taking a hit. You're going to get it for less than what they're paying, generally mm-hmm. speaking, even in a market like this. And you're not going to have expansion rights. You're not going to have renewal rights because they don't want to renew and continue right. to subsidize yeah. your rent.
0: It's luck. The stars really have to align for that. It's hard work to find a subtenant for space. Yeah. yeah. The stars align for us, Mike, because we found you and you found us this space and we're very happy. So, and we're happy to have you back on the podcast. I'm happy to. Will be- you agree to be the first Three time podcast guest? Absolutely! Uh, wow, we'll, he jumped I will, right on that. And say, be, yes, it, I would have. I would have held out. We're gonna wait I mean, two I more don't years. Know. It's fine. <laughs> it's not. Good. We're gonna wait. We we need you in two year doses. Well, these uh, notes I have are gonna be stale by then, so I will have yeah, to do it again. Yeah, have, to print have, print have to print out a new. That's yeah. right. That's right. If you like this episode, please give us a five star review. Subscribe, follow us wherever you listen to your podcast, and share the podcast with your friends and family. And we will see you next time. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, Mike.
1: Nelson. Thanks, thanks Nelson. Thank you the man. Brett. Thanks, Nelson.
0: No, thank you. No, thank you. For more information on this show and other resources, visit FastAmron.com and connect with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram at FastAmron.